Whether it's, you know, watching our language and trying to talk positively, we can give and project this image of faith. And of course, that's important. But then there's also what we do when no one's looking. You know, what's really going on inside of us? What's the true state of our heart and our mind and our soul? Who are we? What are we really about when no one is watching? You know, when you're on a business trip and you're in a hotel room by yourself, when you're writing a paper or you're taking a test at school and maybe no one is there to police. Maybe you're surfing the internet. Maybe you're choosing what media or what products to de-stress or to unwind. Or maybe it's even how you speak and interact with the people when you're behind the doors of your home. Who are you? Who are we when no one is watching? And I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking, well, it really doesn't matter, does it? But you know what? If we stay disciplined in our private life, it has a huge impact on our public life. Because the thing is, when we start making shortcuts, when we start doing things and keeping secrets, it will almost always come to the surface at the wrong time. Eventually, it will become visible to the people around us, and usually at the worst possible time. So in the book of Proverbs, in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verse 20, it says, the Lord detests, that's such a big word, the Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. And integrity starts, I think, when no one is watching. You see, our private life really matters to God, and so it should matter to us. So I just want to talk about two themes or two ideas that I think have a profound impact on how we live out our private life. Two things to keep into mind as we seek to couple our faith with our private life, and that's our focus and our motivation. It's important to consider where are we putting our focus and what are we being motivated by? So whether really big or really small, I think probably every single one of us can agree that sometimes we make really dumb decisions. Right? We all know that's true. There's times when we look at something we've done or something we've said and we think, how in the world did I let that happen? How in the world could I have been so dumb? You know, maybe you're trying to be very measured and you're trying to practice self-control, but then something gets under your skin and you end up losing your temper. Maybe you know that you need to be extra careful with money and your budget, but then Amazon Prime Day comes and all bets are off. Maybe you know that you want to live with integrity and honesty, but then you see a shortcut to success and to accolades. Or maybe you hold others to really high standards, but then you find yourself taking shortcuts and you're making excuses and rationalizations to do it. So why? Why do we keep on making dumb 
decisions. Why do we do things that in retrospect make no sense? Well, I think here's one of the reasons. It's because most of life's battles are won or lost in our mind. All right, far before we ever take action, the battle is won or lost in our mind. Because your life is almost always moving in the direction of how you are thinking. And when it comes to our mind, when it comes to our thinking, it eventually shows up in our life. I mean, think of it this way. It's really hard to live a positive existence when we have a negative and destructive mindset. If all of our thinking is negative and defeating, it's really hard to be living a positive and uplifting kind of life. And I think this is why, again, our private life is so important. Because eventually what's going on behind the scenes is going to boil over and be evident in our public life. Because we are holistic people. We are body, mind, and spirit. And they're ultimately inseparable in this world. So if you don't learn to control what and how you think, you'll never be able to control what you do. And I think that means that we need to take the time, we need to be intentional about training our minds. We need to transform and renew our thinking. And you might say, well, what in the world does that even mean? What does it mean to train our mind? What does it mean to renew or transform our thinking? Well, think about when you train your body, right? You can go and spend hours per day at the gym, but if you don't also control what you put into your body, you're never going to see results. The way that it's often said is you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Right? If you go put in two hours at the gym, but then go and eat at McDonald's three times right after that, you're not going to see any results. And in much the same way, we need to be careful about what we are putting into our minds. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, the New King James Version translation of the Bible puts it this way. It simply says, meditate on these things. That whole list of what is true and pure and lovely and admirable. Meditate on these things. Now, don't get the wrong idea. It doesn't mean climb up on a mountain and cross your legs and say, om, and somehow try to meditate in that way. No, look at the book of Psalms where it says, Psalm 119, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Another psalm, Psalm 143 says, I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. You see, meditate just means to intently focus on something, to focus your thinking intentionally. Now, where Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind, the meditation we're talking about here is filling your mind with the things of God, 
his truth, his goodness, and all of who he is. But I think maybe the most difficult thing to do is to focus, right? Because we have so many distractions in our life, busyness, schedules, everything that's coming at us every single day distracts us and keeps us from focusing on the things of God. Think about the media that comes at us from every direction every single day. And that's why I think we need to be very, very, very careful who we choose to follow, who we choose to listen to, and how we allow that to impact our thinking. You know, really a vital question for every one of us to ask and to answer is who or what is discipling you? Every person is being discipled by someone or something. That simply means we are being taught and we are being influenced by whomever or whatever we follow most closely. And you know what? Today, many, many people, way too many people, including way too many Christians, are being discipled by cable news. And there are way too many people today who are being discipled by their favorite politician or political party. And we see that play out in tragic ways where unchristlike behavior is being embraced by people who claim faith oftentimes because of their favorite politician. Also, there are many, many people who are being discipled by social media, whether it's trying to keep up with the Joneses, whether it's craving more fame and notoriety. There are others who are being discipled by popular culture and celebrities. And you see, when we end up allowing those types of influences to disciple us, well, then we give in to things like division and outrage and anger and selfishness and power and fame. And when we let those things take root in our mind, it eventually shows up in our actions, in our relationships. And that's why Paul says, no, fix your thoughts, focus your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. As soon as you find your thoughts drifting from those things, an alarm should go off. As soon as you start following someone who's modeling behavior and values that don't line up with those things that Paul lists, run in the opposite direction. You need to refocus on the mind and the thoughts and the things of God, things that are worthy of honor and praise. And I think this is why we need to read and we need to sing and we need to memorize and we need to reflect and meditate on God's word. Because eventually, as we are saturated in God's word, it becomes imprinted in our minds and it actually impacts our thinking, and it becomes stored away to be used when we most need it. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, we're all hiding things in our hearts, but are they the things of God? 
things that are pure and true and lovely. Now, I've told this story before, but I think it illustrates the importance of this point. When I was in seminary, I did what is called clinical pastoral education, which is just chaplaincy training. And I was assigned to be at Fairview Ridge's care center and hospital down in Burnsville. Most of the time I was at the care center, we would do Bible studies, worship services, and I would visit the residents throughout the week. But I remember one day an alarm went off when there was an emergency happening in the building, and we found out it was an elderly woman who had fallen and very much hurt herself, and so she's laying in the hallway, and we rushed to her side waiting for the paramedics to come from the hospital next door. And as she laid there in incredible pain and suffering, we could hear her saying things. And eventually, it was clear she was quoting scripture. Well, after she had been treated in the hospital and was back in the care center, I got to go visit her, and I asked her about what she was quoting. And she said, well, when she was a little girl, she memorized the ABCs of scripture, a verse of scripture for every letter of the alphabet. And in that moment of pain and shock and struggle, she found comfort in God's word and promises that she had hidden away in her heart. We need to similarly be careful about what we focus on when it comes to our thinking. Well, now I want to talk about the importance of our motivation. You know, actors often talk about or ask the question, what's my motivation when they have a new role or when they're playing a new character? But you know, really, it's a question every one of us should ask and answer. What's our motivation in life? What drives us? And so think about your life. What are you motivated by? What drives you? Is it to succeed? Is it to build wealth? Is it to live the most comfortable existence possible? Is it to be popular? Is it to gain power or status? Now there's a dark side to whatever drives us. Because that motivation can also compel us and convince us to take shortcuts, to color outside the lines, to be less than honest, to even sacrifice our integrity if we think we can somehow get closer to whatever that goal or that motivation is. If we see those things, those shortcuts helping us accomplish our goal, well, then we start to justify and we start to rationalize our bad behavior. I think some of the most common rationalizations that we use are these. Sometimes we say, well, no one will ever find out, right? No one's watching. No one knows what's going on behind the scenes. No one's ever going to find out. The next one is, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, they do way worse things than this. Another one is, well, everyone else is doing it, right? So then why can't I? Number four, well, after all I've been through, I deserve it. Can be such a harmful, harmful justification. 
whether it's a chemical or a drug or whatever else that we might find an addiction in, a lot of times the rationalization is, well, man, I've had it rough, so I deserve it. And finally, well, it's my life. I can do what I want with it, right? Who, is it, who can anybody else tell me what to do? My life is my own. You see, when we have the wrong motivation, it can lead to harmful rationalizations. And it then causes us to start moving in very destructive directions. And it not only hurts us, it hurts the people around us. Author Gordon MacDonald wrote a classic book about 20 years ago called Ordering Your Private World. And in the book, he has a chapter about the difference between living driven and living called. See, it's often driven people who project confidence and success and they have bold achievement. But at the least expected moment, when they face crisis or adversity, that sometimes there's a big personal collapse. But it's people who lived called called by God, who maybe aren't the most outwardly impressive or remarkable, but they have an inner strength and confidence that allows them to be steady and solid no matter what life throws at them. Now think about scripture who gives us a picture of person after person who's not that remarkable, who's just normal every day, but who's able to accomplish great things for God's kingdom. Specifically, think about the disciples that Jesus called. None of them would have been candidates for important positions. There's no headhunter that would have gone out of their way to go and try to use the disciples to somehow fill important positions. But Jesus did, and that made all the difference. You see, ultimately, the strength and the impact of all of his disciples didn't come by being driven through worldly things. No, in the eyes of the world, in many ways, they were not successful. But the reason that they are still remembered today is that they lived out their calling. Now, John the Baptist is one of my favorite examples of someone who lived called. People were drawn to him and his ministry right when we're introduced to him. And they're drawn to him even though his message is basically you are all a bunch of miserable sinners. You need to repent and you need to turn your life around. It didn't matter who the crowd was. It didn't matter what their connections were. It didn't matter what their status was. That was his message for every one of them. And it made him very popular with some and very hated by others. Now, John had nothing extraordinary about him. We're told he wore camel hair clothing. He ate locusts and honey. He lived in the desert. John, though, had this giant following of people. He had all the ingredients for his own megachurch. He could have been so much more comfortable and extravagant. He could have built a mini mansion. But instead, he just kept living out his calling. Look at Mark chapter one, starting with verse seven. This was his message. He says, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. 
so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John understood his calling. He didn't try to become the Messiah. His job, his calling, was to point everyone to the real Messiah. But even still, I think it's fascinating to watch John's reaction when he starts to see that his popularity is fading because Jesus shows up. And really, John, at that point, is out of a job. Now, there's some people that try to bring this to his attention. You know, people, all these people that were following John are now following Jesus. John had his own disciples. Even they are starting to follow Jesus. And I think the people that came to give the report, they're kind of hoping for a negative reaction. But John didn't give in. He didn't play along. Look at John chapter 3, starting with verse 26. It says, John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. But here's how John replied. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Now, I think there are some really amazing principles there of what it means to live called. You see, John understands stewardship. He understands that the crowd doesn't belong to him, and he willingly allows them to go and follow Jesus. Now, in the same way, when we live called instead of driven, we remember that nothing we have truly belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And we're called to just manage it well. When we live called, well, then we're able to resist selfishness. We're able to resist our desire to cling to the things of this world. Instead, we remember who it all belongs to We also see that John understands exactly who he is. He is not the Messiah. I mean, John could have easily manipulated the crowd to get more fame and power and money, but he sees that that's not his calling. His calling is to simply point people to Jesus. And for us to live into our calling, we need to know who we are. And the truth is, we are sinful and broken people who are saved through the grace of Jesus. That means don't buy into any hype you receive. Don't be tempted to get a Messiah complex or to think that you've got everything under control. Don't ever think you can do life alone. 
Look at what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Paul knew who he was and his desperate need for God. Well, we also see John understands his purpose. He says Jesus is the bridegroom. John is just his best friend standing up to be his best man. He knew his purpose. He knew his calling. When we understand our God-given purpose, well, then it gives us confidence. It gives us clarity. And we can see how unnecessary it is to cut corners, to take shortcuts, to sacrifice integrity. It's so much better to just live each day for God, trusting it all to him, both our public life and our private life. So church, when it comes to your private life, those things that no one around us can even see, a place where it's easy to compromise, it's easy to cut corners, it's so easy to justify bad behaviors, and bad habits. It's by learning to focus our minds on what is right and true and honorable, the things of God. It's by living into our calling, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we can truly live lives full of purpose and character and integrity, even when no one else is watching. Let's pray. Gracious God, we know you care about every aspect of our life. And you also know how we struggle to make good decisions, to live out your values. God, you know how hard it is sometimes for us to focus on the things that we should. And so God, help us to care more about our private life, the life that maybe no one else around us can see, but you know all too well. God, help us to focus our thinking and our minds on you. Help us to live as called people, not just driven people. Use us to expand your kingdom and to bring your good news wherever we go. God, help us to live every hour, every minute of our life with you in control. And so we sacrifice all of who we are to your care in Jesus' name. Let's all say together, amen.